What up, what up? I'm Adrian Young. I'm Ali Shaheed Muhammad. And we are The Midnight Hour. And you are listening to Mega Late Show. Skirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's youngin' up in here. You know what I mean? We gotta get that demographic. <laughs> Hello and greetings. Greetings, beautiful people of the world. Welcome back to The Mega Late Show, Tokyo hip hop art and culture. This is episode number 126, and I am your host, Robinson Mega. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, I am starting this episode off a little bit differently than I usually do. You know, if you're a listener, that usually we start uh, right on the uh, on the mics with the guests in studio. But I wanted to give you a bit of a little uh, preamble before we get started and let you know who our guest was and who our co-host was. And I'll start by letting you know that our co-host is a former guest of the show, a good friend of the show, Aaron Cholai. Most recently, he was on episode number 112. Aaron is a jazz pianist, a hip-hop producer who is incredible. He is a prodigy, and he also runs the kind of eclectic and avant-garde uh, music collective, uh, Namboku Records, which is putting out some of the most uh, interesting music uh, of all different varieties right now they've got some incredible jazz pianists and himself and jazz drummers and just really great stuff coming out some of the best in tokyo today he brought a person who is on the label with him also his wife she is a classically trained professional kodo and bass kodo player the japanese instrument uh, really unique sound and we get into that quite a bit during the episode she is miyama mcqueen tokita and man uh, her approach to the kodo is so interesting as well as her you know her backstory how she was introduced to it by her mother and kind of been trying to make it her own in several ways while still upholding a lot of the traditional elements of the instrument so please continue to stay tuned in and we can find out all about her story there's a few new things that i've sprinkled in during the podcast i'm hoping to kind of staple those down and make those regular occurrences in fact one of them is reaching out to independent and underground uh, producers for the musical bed uh, musical bed being all the music you hear in the background kind of uh, providing a nice little uh, resting spot for our voices and today in the last few episodes all the musical bed is brought to you by soul dope 95 uh, soul dope 95 is a producer from southern california i met him through instagram and i really have taken a liking to his beats uh, i should have an episode a phone recorded episode with him where i interview him and ask him some questions uh coming out soon we're, we're still working on setting that up but definitely go check the show notes follow him on spotify and all the other places that you would find music definitely go check out aaron's new album raw denshi and all of the people who are creating music on on Namboku Records, as well as our guest today, the incredibly talented and wonderful Miyama McQueen Tokita. Her new album, uh, Sonobe, is out right now, and it is a, an experience. Thank you for tuning into the Mega Late Show. We'll come back next Tuesday with part two, where we kind of stop the interview based thing and have more conversations about music and things that we like and we'll play some music and we'll play some of Miyama's music and discuss that as well as some music theory things part two Tuesday part one right now episode 126 oh <laughs>
That's Japanese XL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. double X, please. Double you X. I mean? We the bulky boys. That's Come how, on, son. You know what I mean? Think Putting in that work. Yeah, so right. I work out every day. Yeah. Like eating shit. Like I'm in the bulking phase right now. Oh, you trying to bulk? You actually looking kind of like big in the right <laughs> way, son. I, I, no, I'm looking big. Yeah, you're right. No, you know, you're in the right way though. Yeah, core, core. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the core is. But you, you know, yeah, strength of the core. Big. No, I, I, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, no, I, I love you, dog. Like no, I, love you I, I love when you come through. Uh, <laughs> this is this is Aaron Cholai, fucking uh, pianist, prodigy, uh, label head. Now you're running Namboku Records. This is your joint, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, um, I think we talked about it last time a little bit. Like, um, it's just it's just a little community of us out here in Tokyo. A lot of jazz guys, some hip hop guys, um, some classical guys, some composers, and. Uh, some people that are into video and, and, and designers and stuff are just trying to do this little independent, you know, organization. That's the way to go. Just you got to do something. I see the lineup is looking fresh. Come on. It's looking son. lovely, man. Of course, bro. You guys are, are looking wonderful. And Thank our you. guest today, well, why don't you introduce Why don't you introduce our guest today after that dropout? I, I don't know her. We just met okay. at the station. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I've, today. I've seen a couple <laughs> of her videos and I listened to her album, but that's like the extent of my knowledge here. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I'm. I feel, I feel like she's on the label, but also I feel like she's in my you house. You just slapped the shit out of him in here. I we, we fight in here. Waiting for the right no, time. I also yeah. feel like she's in the house a lot too. I don't see her around like the the apartment. No, uh, today, um, and you know, thank you to you, Mega, for having both of us up here. I should say, but like, yeah, today at the Mega Late Show, Miyama McQueen Takeda, um, my partner my wife uh amazing koto play incredible musician also helps out with the label and um yeah okay i wasn't sure if we were going to go ahead and divulge information that you guys are in a relationship but that's really tight too <laughs> oh man you know what i mean i'm not trying to keep that secret uh, you not know, anymore I, I don't know how that shit works out like my for my company my job they're like yo we're not really married if anybody asks oh yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like i don't know why they do that and it's just like okay but uh, uh yeah well i hope that's not a problem is this like a is this like a case of like, you know, like not net. What is it? It's not nepotism, nepotism, but because he's not like related by blood, but you it's like you just putting her on because you just, you know what I mean? I mean, you can say that if you want. Like, I mean, not you, but, you know, anyone out there listening who thinks that just go listen to the record. And you no, tell me what's yeah. what. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, like <laughs> instead of instead of trying to diminish it some, I, I want to say that um, I was never like a fan of the Kodo. Like, I, I mean, I've heard it on like martial arts films and <laughs> things like, you know what I mean? You Country hear it like, hustle? yeah, yeah, exactly. Those guys are actually they might be like the second coolest Kodo players, right? Yeah. Like behind you. And they use it for attacking. So, you know, debatable. We can have that. But, um, you know, I'm not very familiar with it, but I'm a fan of art. And I saw your performance. I saw a couple of your video performances. And I was especially introduced to it by some of the videos that um, Aaron was sharing. And I was like, yo, this is absolutely incredible. And um, I was listening to the album and it, your new album. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then yeah. I'll give you props right after that. Uh, so um, I released my first solo album called Sonobe um, back in May this year. And um, it's featuring works. It's all written kind of, I guess you would classify it as like uh, um, contemporary classical slash like experimental. We call it new music, I guess. Okay. And um, for, so six of the, tra there are six tracks and four of them were written for me. And then two of them are 
like a bit older and they were written for my teachers and they all kind of I chose those these six pieces because um I mean I basically really like them but they kind of they all say something about my own music and my view of the instrument and how I want music to sound coming from me and from the instrument in all different ways that's really dope um yeah everybody you guys can find that I'll put a link in the bio, but you guys can find the album um, on Spotify if you want to listen yep. to it like more immediately. There's some video footage of you performing mm -hmm. uh, on YouTube, but also I guess we can find it on like Namboku Records Bandcamp as well. Yep, on, um, yeah. yep. on Namboku. Yeah, I'd like you guys to, to, to check that out. It, it's a much different vibe than lo-fi hip-hop. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's yeah. a very much different vibe, it, but it it is, um, I was going to ask like what kind of genre would, would it be considered because it's not yeah, when, it's you, when you think of classical like music you think of a lot of european you know yeah, like really hardcore mm -hmm. like hard to listen to stuff but say i don't like to call it classical necessarily but you can have to because that is sure. my background and i don't want to call it like koto music because if you say koto people who do know the instrument will be like They'll think of like the background music in a sushi restaurant, mm. which it's not. And they're all things that I'm trying to get away from. And it's and that makes it really unclassifiable. Mm. So we it, always have trouble trying to define it. It, it seems a bit avant-garde to me, but maybe it's yeah. just because I'm not familiar with the, uh, I guess, traditional presentation of mm. this style of music. But when I see it and I see you, uh, I watched your performance in, I think, New York with the Andrew, yeah, yeah. and oh, yeah, yeah, Andrew, and and I was like, oh, this is this is not what I expected. Like the the uh, what what kind of what instrument is that he was on the cello? cello? Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, this is a strange compliment that I wasn't familiar with. Usually, when you hear the koto, it's just like solo by itself. Mm. Somebody may be singing, and there's something Japanese <laughs> happening, you know, yeah. in proximity. Whether it's See, like a performance or video or. This is why you're the fucking best mega. Because subtleties <laughs> like that, picking up the, like, it, it, it is kind of classical, but it's not. And hearing it with the cello is an uncommon thing. It's like, you're dead on. Like, that shit isn't normal for that uh, instrument and for the context that Miyama's doing, you know, uh, putting out music at the moment. Or to even see, like, a, a bass koto player in New York playing with a cellist and, um, and playing Messian and, and that kind of impressionist music. Um, like, yeah, there's, these are all the reasons why it's sort of really hard to kind of classify mm. what Miyama does. But that's also because of the weight of the history of the instrument, I think. Like if it's you like were 1,300 years old or something, right? Yeah. Like yeah. It's quite an old instrument. But like if you were doing the same thing as a classical pianist, it would be a little bit more understand or like a little bit easier to kind of see where your background would be coming from, I think. Mm. But um, yes. Let's start there. Like how... Um, how are you introduced to it? You you said that some of these songs you pick were kind of reflections of your personality and your views on the mm. on the instrument itself. And uh, we were talking right before we started recording, and you're actually half Japanese. Yep. So this is like you, this isn't a performance name. This is your yeah. This is my real name. Oh, okay. See, this is this is what's real cool about like musicians and jazz artists. Unlike hip hop or anything, you guys just kind of use your regular names, and it's like <laughs> dope already. It sounds like a it sounds like a performer name. Like yeah, people have always asked me like, so what's your real name? Yeah. 
Well, the dichotomy between it is kind of just dope because it sounds, you know, I mean, of course, it's Japanese, but the McQueen right in the middle yeah. is like, oh, okay, like <laughs> Queen vibes going here. Like, okay, I get it. But but you're half Japanese. Yeah. And did you grow up? Can you tell us about like growing up and, and being introduced to mm -hmm. the instrument or why you gravitated towards it? So I grew up, I was born in Australia, in Melbourne. My mom's Australian. My dad's Japanese. He's from Chiba. Um and my mum is a musicologist and she, she specialises in traditional Japanese music. And so the way that I was introduced to the instrument was really quite like, it's not very exciting. Um, I was really young. I was like about seven years old and my mum was trying to um, get students together for this um, Japanese koto teacher to teach at the university that she was working at. And so I was pretty agreeable and I was, you know, I, I was interested in music. I did piano and singing and stuff. So, um, but it just kind of stuck. But um, now in retrospect, the reason why I can continued playing Koto is because um, without really realizing it at the time, I think the, like I kind of said before, the kind of music that I want to play and hear um, comes, comes most naturally from the Koto rather than like, say piano or just singing or things like that so i think it just suited my like what i wanted to hear and play that's really interesting like um i've never seen one up close before oh. it's good it's a rare instrument right you don't go yeah. to the guitar center and pick up a, a kodo <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so like I, I have no ideas of like is it heavy uh, you're gonna get some dumb questions like oh good I, I i maybe dumb is not the right thing but i'm really an outsider when it comes to this style of music and and performance and i'm also not a trained musician whatsoever mm. so the theory behind it is like whew, over my head too it's but okay is it heavy um i mean you know classify heavy it's it's hollow underneath though it's hollow hollow in, inside okay um it's about six foot long the normal one see aaron mentioned that like what i play is the bass koto mainly okay. so even that again if you just heard it some people wouldn't even might they might not recognize it as a japanese string instrument you know anyway because it's got a, a much more mellow sound so the standard koto is six foot and uh the Base koto is 210 centimeters. Was that like mm, how many feet? Seven point three yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. I so mean, like I'm American, so I'm just yeah. getting used to like centimeters and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, it's like that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty yeah. huge. Yeah. So that's and so the weight of that is about uh, like 15 kilograms, which is what in pounds? Uh, like 32. Yeah, it's yeah. about that. Right, yeah. like 30. Hey, I'm getting better at this, yo. Like, there you go. if I had an applause drop, I would drop it for myself. <laughs> Let me see. Do I have some? Ah, there that's right, there Mega Late Show. <laughs> okay, I mean, sorry to applause myself for that, but yeah, I think I'm right. Okay, I mean, that's that's wonderful. How many strings does it have? Okay, so the standard one has 13, and the bass has 17. Oh shit. Yep. What instrument is it most close to in terms of? like performing with it it's so weird right like what do you mean like what instrument goes the most with well it? yeah i mean like you don't just pick up like a guitar and then it has like 13 strings on it or something you know what i mean uh, and it's like yeah. such a it, it's it's very interesting to me it's not like a wood hammer dulcimer or something you know it's <laughs> yeah uh, i mean because of so did you you said you trained with other instruments as well like yeah. piano 
Yeah. But kind of parallel at the same time. So okay. it's not like I went from going to piano and then then going to the koto or the other way. But a lot okay. of people have kind of um, compared it to the piano. Like in, okay. like back in the 19th century, I guess people would if refer to the piano in Japan as the Western koto. Oh, okay. I mean, we should bring that back. You're pretty that. dope on that Western Koto, though. <laughs> Fastest fingers around on that Western Koto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, I've seen it happen. I'll, I mean, facts. We only talk about facts on the Middle East. Straight facts. <laughs> okay. So, um, your your mother was a musicologist, and a lot of that inspiration to to be attracted to music comes from that family type of orientation. But when it comes to the Koto. I feel like in many things in Japan that are kind of artisan or high art or something, something uh, Japanese culture tends to have like a lineage. Like I learned to play, even with like Brazilian jiu-jitsu jiu or martial arts, it's, it's like totally the same thing, I right? got my black belt from this black belt who's, right. you know, from that, from this lineage of black belts. Was it like that with the Kodo for you? Did you train under anybody who was... You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's your Who's your ip man, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, there's there's definitely lineage, like heavy lineage, and like they call it, like there's a really high, uh, strong hierarchy system in the whole of traditional music in Japan. Um, I belong to the Sawai school that was founded in I can't remember maybe the sixties. Are they going to be mad at you for not knowing this? <laughs> <laughs> um, a while ago, it's been like forty years ago. So, okay, yeah, um, by a couple of um, husband and wife of koto players. The husband was a composer, Tadao Sawai. So he, you know, the school bases their repertoire on what he wrote, mm. and then his wife Kazuya Sawai was like, she still is like she's this monster of a player, and she kind of, she was actually the, the reason why I even learnt to play because she was spreading her students around the world to go like hey mm. go live in here go, go live in this city and see what happens ah. and she wanted the koto to be seen as just like a musical instrument rather than a traditional kind of you know um what is it like something that belongs in a museum or something that's solely um traditional or right. ancient like some archaic piece of history yeah and, and like not just you know, um, continuing the same tradition, but like, you know, the whole thing about tradition is actually innovation. Innovation, and so she wanted to like really break through to like new stuff and for people around the world to see it for as an instrument, not just a, a Japanese artifact. Okay, yeah. and, and how was that kind of? How did that training happen? You just went to their school and you undertook a course, or did you have to like kick bamboo? Like what? <laughs> You know, you know what I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah, like, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? That's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to do it with the Western color. Yeah. They make you <laughs> break. You have to like band. play with like a bucket on your head of water. <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like balance that. How, do, how does uh, how did it work out? Is it just like a tr is it like a regular um, music program? You go, there's a bunch of people in class. You learn how to read the music and. Yeah, it's just the same as if you like go. If you say you want to learn piano, you just find a, a teacher. And then you have lessons, basically. Okay. And it's like, I guess the only difference might be is it's like, well, we do this stuff. So you belong to this school now. Okay. It wasn't even that overbearing or anything. Sure. But the, in my case, though, because I was in Australia, there was only one teacher. And it's not like 
I don't think I was looking for a koto teacher. There was a koto teacher, and she was looking for students. Ah. Was, it's kind of like the other way from you. Oh, so it was usually. like a little bit serendipitous. It all just kind of came together for exactly. you. Exactly. Oh, and so you 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 learned to play um, in Australia. So even though you're half Japanese and there's oftentimes a little bit of adversity that you would face as a half Japanese, half uh, Australian uh, person, you weren't here to experience that. No, and that's been really interesting for me, actually, because um, so I didn't move here until I was 23. So after I graduated university, college, um, and so I had only experienced being half Japanese in shorter, you know, when I'd visit here, Mm -hmm. you know, our family moved here into Japan for like six months or a year at a time, a few, a few times, but Mm. that was kind of more fun, you know, I, it, you know, you get a lot of attention or, but, um, living here as an, as an adult and being half Australian, half Japanese has been, it's been a bit confusing, but because I grew up in Australia, you it's kind of more of a, an acceptable, how to say it, like an acceptable uh, identity to say I'm half Japanese, half Australian. And at least for me, I felt like I could just, that's who I identified as. I didn't have to choose whether I felt more Australian or Japanese. But here it's kind of, it's a little bit more confusing because people in Japan can't just accept that right it has to be one or the other yeah yeah there there's still very much like uh, a lot of ignorance that comes with that and a lot of people um it's not that there's like a xenophobia but Mm. even times there's they they have never encountered somebody who was half especially it seems as though like in this particular community of you know koto musicians in japan it's it, it doesn't seem like this is like the jazz scene where you go, there's people smoking cigarettes, hanging out, talking mm. shit, drinking beers. It seems that as doesn't though sound like the jazz scene. At all. It, it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> like, no, not at all. People are not smoking cigarettes. I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah. But 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 you know what I'm saying? Like like when I think about the places that you're probably performing this type of stuff, it's it seems like it would be more of the mm, how how can I say it? Like oh, not hoity toity like high art but it seems like mm. the people at these type of events are not wearing jordans they're wearing you it's know a little bit more formal right yeah you know yeah. and and i imagine it attracts like a an older uh demographic of people mm. who are interested in this particular type of music not so much a 22 year old totally. unless they're learning how to play the code of themselves Mm-mm. so like, yeah, and there's the added element that, yeah, I am playing a traditional Japanese instrument as opposed to, like, if I was a jazz singer, it'd be like, oh, that's the half Japanese yeah. half. Oh, he's just good on the Western Koto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So you're, you're like, um, in, in to, to kind of continue on the idea of you being a mixed race and, and mm. being here performing a, uh, what's considered largely a traditional Japanese instrument, like, is there any adversity? Like, what type of adversity are you facing within the community of players out here? Do they kind of just say, yo, she's from this lineage, so we know she's dope? Or is it like, why is this white girl? Like, you know what I mean? You present yeah. you present more white than, ja- than yeah, yeah, Asian, yeah. I think. Why is this white girl really killing it up there instead of somebody else that's mm. Japanese? Well, I think that, firstly, I'm fluent in Japanese. I grew up speaking both 
Australian and Japanese. Yeah, I, I hear you. That's you singing on your songs and stuff too, killing yeah. it. So yeah, yeah. Um, but so when you can speak the language really fluently, like naturally, people do tend to accept you and they get to know you and and you know, pe- like my teachers and stuff vouch for me. So like I've done, you know, I've gone through the appropriate training. I, I, you know, I got a scholarship at the at um, Tokyo Gedai, which is Tokyo University of the Arts. And so like when you do that kind of stuff, like people respond to it. So to my face, I haven't faced that kind of adversity where people are like, we don't accept you. <laughs> right. But you know, on more f- of a friendly level, which is probably more common, where like people just kind of casually um, show. They, they don't even mean to, but they're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you're different. Or like, oh, man, geez, you stand out. Yeah. You know, it, it just reminds you that even because I can't see myself, you know, right, I can't right. see how visually, say, I might stand out because of the way I look or my mannerisms in my expressions. But um, so I'm reminded of it sometimes when people are just like, oh, yeah, but, you know, you're different. Right. And so it does remind me that, that I'll never completely be part of it but that's i'm fine with that because you know, i am different i think also too like the majority of the experience that i think like i don't want to talk for you but that you're talking about is when we first moved here it's like the, for the first however many years but japan's changed a lot in that time too like we've been yeah. here 12 years now um it's you know if we were to walk into a restaurant 10 years ago, the staff might freak out a little bit because they weren't sure if they had to speak English or if they speak Japanese or mm. there'd just always be this awkward energy. But nowadays, we talk about it sometimes too. It's like we'll walk in anywhere and no one even flinches. It's just straight Japanese. Um, you know, they expect you to know. And I think that's just a sign of how uh, society out here has, has changed in the last 12 years. Like. Yeah, I don't. I, I've only been here for like seven, but I feel like it's changed a lot. It's changed heaps uh, yeah. since I first got here, even. Yeah, no, and you know, like my Japanese obviously isn't as as good as Miyama's, but it's pretty good. Like, and I, it surprises me sometimes if I'm in a cab or something, the driver will ask if I was born here. I remember it happened to me a, a couple of years ago, but the driver was like, "Are, are you Japanese?" And I just laughed. It's like, no, like obviously not. It was like, oh, yeah, you, you know, you never know these days. Like, the face of Japan is mm. changing. And it's like a really telling, uh, you know, those signs are like really telling of how, how the society out here is sort of becoming a bit more multicultural. And, you know, it's a, it's a very different place. So not, not to say, you know, I'm saying that mm. I think these days, though, both of us feel more comfortable in the circles that we move in out in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's also taken me, like, so we've been here for, what, 11 11 12 yeah so it's you know i was in my early 20s when we moved here and it's like it took me it's taken me this long to kind of figure out like for myself too like how i feel about how i fit in here because there's half japanese and half you know not japanese like predominantly you know um caucasian people like mostly half american people i meet around here but if they've grown up in japan that's that's a different identity again from if a half Japanese person that's grown up in Australia and I've only kind of recently realized that it's like oh yeah that's different again it's like yeah. a different uh, category or something yeah. I, I think uh, you know just the, the even the maybe it's a western climate type of thing uh, uh, but there's a global tide where people are really starting to take account of uh, identity you know mm-hmm. so they're like alright well I'm a straight male but I'm you know Japanese but I'm also 
half or my mother comes from here. And so um, in, in Japan, I think I think one of the cool things that I've noticed is that um, there has been a changing tide. Uh, and and I think the perception is also changing amongst all class and age uh, age people. And of course, I don't come into contact with like upper class people, but just watching a video the other day, there was um, I think the, the the YouTuber's name is like Japanese man named Yuta, and he he goes and does street interviews, and he was talking to all older you know Japanese people about their perception of foreigners here he's like mm-hmm. do foreigners live around you what do you think about them what do you think about mixed race kids and some of them were really dismissive like yo i don't really want to talk to you about it like i don't want to oh, wow. give my opinion about it but there was quite a few of them who were like no i think like this is the future you know like mm-hmm. of course like when i didn't know them the first time seeing them it's like oh you know you can't help but look can you imagine if you had never seen somebody that looked a certain way like you grew up in a society where it's like maybe you see like one black person as as like until you're like 20 yeah. And, yeah. and and it's that's there's so many more um foreigners here now mm. that i think that it's just people are really starting to feel like it's a little bit more normalized mm. yeah. and I, I think it speaks to the fact that it's not a racist society it, yeah. it's it's or even a xenophobic society it's a society that has just been homogenous for so totally. long that there's a curiosity and an apprehension that comes with anything mm. you know new yeah so. it comes from lack of exposure yeah. Really. yeah yeah it's more ignorance than anything which like you know you mm. can forgive people for just not knowing mm. stuff or acting weird yeah and they kind of know it too yeah like, they do like, yeah they don't pretend to know it's a very different ener- energy around here like you know, especially nowadays too, when we talk about race relations and and society and stuff like that, like it's hard for people outside of Japan. Like it's hard to talk about what it is. That, but everyone always wants to sort of like look at Japan through an American sort of lens. It's a really different thing out here, I think, at least for me. Mm. Um, it's yeah, it's got its own sort of unique challenges and set of rules and stuff. Not not to like, sorry, I don't mean to equate like our experience or like to be comparable to what's going on in the states at all. But that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not. It's got nothing to do with it. Like right. Like um, it's a completely different struggle out here. And again, it's probably different for people who are half Japanese or from Australia, or from America, than it would be if you were from Thailand or Vietnam too. Like you know yeah, what I mean? Right, like I have right. no idea what that's like out here. Yeah, I, you know, this neighborhood, and I've mentioned so many times on a podcast, I almost hate to bring it up again, but like this is the fastest growing Chinese community, I think, in Japan right now. Mm. Yeah. Toshimaku. Yeah. So they're coming, they're purchasing up land. Uh, there's language schools out here for them, and we have like the best Chinese food. It, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we right just now. sampled it. Yeah. Dude, it's so. Good yeah. Out here. The, yeah. I mean, like, it's great, but I, when I lived in. Um, uh, Komagome, Yamanote line, uh, Bunkyoku, I was getting stopped by the cops all the time. Police mm-hmm. were stopping me all the time just because, you know, I maybe look Filipino to them or, you know, Middle mm-hmm. Eastern or whatever. I get everybody from all races that's not like white or Japanese, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I would get stopped all the time over there. Over here, I don't get stopped at all. But yeah. it'll be seven in the morning and I'll see them stopping some Nepalese guy or I'll see them stopping some Chinese guy. And I'm just like, oh, that's dick. But. Yeah, it, it, it's really it's really interesting the way that it those different experiences um, huh. yeah. add up. Even to just a the few stations away, yeah. it's different. Yeah. Like what three stations away? I think mm. yeah. is Komagome. So yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's that's dope. I, and I'm I'm glad to hear that you're having a positive experience because um, 
generally when we think about like progress in racism and things we we tend to think that like oh the younger generation is not going to have the same ignorance as the older generation well that's not necessarily true and we see that quite often yeah. you're also operating in in a place where it's m more older demographic and maybe less likely to um be accepting of change mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i don't yeah I don't <laughs> where, where do um Hold on, I'm gonna ask you where the the scene takes place, but let me give a little PSA really quick, um, uh, in between. So all of these beats in the background are brought to you in part. Well, the Mega Late Show this episode is brought to you in part by Soul Dope 95. He is a beat maker from the inland uh, from the Inland Empire, which is Southern California. Um, one of my favorite beat makers right now. These are not lo-fi beats to stare into the abyss with. You, you, they're really good beats him and jansport jr like my two favorite beat makers from the west coast right now so go check him out links in the show notes um i also want to let you guys know about the other podcast that i am a part of and contribute to it is called the fire this time with tracy jones tracy jones is an accomplished writer who's shown up in la weekly um Tokyo Weekender, Metropolis. He had a article that went global a few years back about him raising a biracial child here in Japan. His, he, his daughter's half black, half Japanese. And um, yeah, we're doing that podcast. It's a bunch of black folks talking about social issues, black issues, and things of that nature. So check that out. Happens every other Tuesday. And yes, one more thing. I want to give a shout out to my guy, Tokyo Cliff, who runs the Tokyo Speaks podcast. It is an international podcast or is a podcast that focuses on the international community here in Tokyo. He talks to a lot of different professionals in various different fields and um, just a really great podcast uh, that I'd like you guys to go check out. Uh, I recently co-hosted an episode with him featuring Arthel Isom and Dante Carver. You'll recognize Dante Carver as the black cat from all the SoftBank commercials, the God. Shout out shout out to him. Yeah, man. You know Dante, right? Yep. Everybody in Japan knows Dante. Um, Dante, myself, and Cliff uh, interviewed Arthel Isom, who is um, the co-founder of Dart, uh, Dart Stadio, uh, Stagio, um, the first major uh, black animation studio in Japan. Oh. And I think it's the first major foreign anime studio in Japan. He's recently um, featured as one of the people on Pharrell Williams and Jay-Z's video uh, Entrepreneur that highlight a lot of black people around the globe doing amazing things. And he was also the person, his studio also did all of the artwork for the new weekend video Snow Child, I think. But check that out. It's a really good conversation. You get to hear all about that. Um, I will put a link to uh, Tokyo Speaks podcast in the show notes. So that is a kind of a long rant that brings me right back into our conversation with Miyama and Aaron. I want to know yes. where does this scene take place? Like if I want to go like peep some Kodo shit like there's a bunch of little jazz bars around here. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like the pit. There's a lot of places for jazz. But where are all the cool kids that listen to Kodo kick? Where, so where do you guys hang out? That's a very good question. Uh, firstly, I, I, don't, 
I'm not really part of the like real like hardcore traditional scene. I want to say anymore, but um, I probably never was fully in it. Anyway, and the school that I'm part of is like pretty contemporary to begin with, and um, so I wouldn't. I'm not really. Okay, what am I trying to say? So I, there's no kind of main hangouts. There are, you know, because it is still kind of similar to the classical world. So if you're talking about performance venues, there are certain concert halls that maybe people would put on their big recitals and concerts. Um, and then there, there are just like smaller, you know, projects going on in like what we call live houses that might host a lot of experimental or original music and... Um, that maybe you'd find people playing koto in jazz clubs. Um, I play uh, at a lot of play, um, free improv venues that they host a lot of like noise or free improvisation music. I'm so down to go check out some noise. No, I'm not. I'm not being facetious or crazy at all. I'm yeah? so down for it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a, one of the weird music heads. Like yeah. I, even the hip hop shit I listen to is abstract, experimental. I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's. Japan's got a really long and beautiful history of noise music and experimental music, you know. Yeah. It's like it came in here um, an important time, and it's like its roots here are, are super long. So that part, uh, especially Tokyo, it's such a healthy, vibrant music. Yeah, music it's really culture. lively. Yeah. So what, are, what are some of the venues that that you kind of rock out at? Well, rock, <laughs> rock out. Where, where you koto out? <laughs> like what? What, what would we call out. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where I shred. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shredding. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, there's one, there's a place called Apollo in Shimokitazawa. It's like this basement, like tiny room. It's really cool. Like, you know, there's like a gutter in the middle of the floor and. I may know. have been there before with Maya and Buddha. Yeah. I think night. he showed up yeah. just after I finished playing. One night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Aaron plays it. So like oh, that's where we met then. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Is that, is that oh, yeah, yeah. We met. Okay. I didn't go right. to the gig, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like, we were all there together. Arm wrestling and shit, right? right. Yeah. Right. Losing, right. Right. losing to arm wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, that was a great night, by the way. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a while ago now. But um, yeah, those kinds of like places. There's like a pretty noise-heavy uh, venue called Flying Teapot in Ekoda, which is, you know, a few stations oh, yeah. around from, yeah. from here. Was that Ikebu uh, Seibu Ikebukuro line? That's yeah. the one, yeah. And that's been around for like, I don't know how long, but it's a pretty long long history there. Um, so they have a, it's mainly noise. Really, you guys Beacon gotta you guys gotta let me know when those type of joints are going down. Like I want to go to that. Yeah, man. You know uh, what I mean? Like I'm so down for that. Yeah, I, I, I'm never a part of like the like I'm part of the hip hop scene, but nobody like I had a homie that went to like a Miho Hatori show. Oh and yeah. I was like, why didn't you tell me about that? Like, you think <laughs> I don't want to? You think I don't want to check that out? Like what is wrong with you? You think I just want to go check out fucking Aaron and Fitz all the damn time? Like, I, like, I love those guys, but damn it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I've got a gig next uh, next Friday night. Okay. In Ecuador. Hey, I'm gonna try to go to that. Yeah, undoubtedly. I, actually, um, this might be a good time. You have a couple gigs coming up. Shun's got a gig coming up. You have uh, you and a, a sextet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So at the moment with Namboku, like all the associated cats in the crew, like we're um we're not necessarily putting on the gigs for everybody, but like we're helping out and, and promoting it and stuff. So. Uh, Shun Ishiwaka, who's an amazing drummer, probably one of Japan's most well-known drummer. He's got three days in a row at uh, the Shinjuku Pit Inn from uh, October 9th with six different groups. And I'll be uh, joining him for a duo gig on the 10th. 
Um, Miyama's playing next Friday in Ecuador. Uh, Friday, was it the second? Yeah, Friday the 2nd. It, that's going to be a trio gig with a bass player, um, upright bass, and bandonian, which is a smaller uh, accordion, I guess. Is that oh the okay. best way to put yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's the Argentinian version of an accordion, a right. button accordion. Um, button accordion. So that sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, is that like, like live improv or are you guys going to play songs? Both. So oh. we'll be doing like kind of live improv, like free improv, like kind of some noisy stuff, but also um, tunes like that we've played, that we've written, all of us have written and um, and a bassist who passed away last year, Saito Tetsu. Um, he He's like kind of a, a common interest of us all, but like um, he, he wrote some really nice pieces. So we're going to play them. And it'll all be kind of woven together with like improvisation, which is like what all of us do. So it'll be, and it'll all ac acoustic. So that'll be an echo next yeah. Friday. Okay, yeah. Remind me about that so I can try to make it out. It's right down the street. Yeah, you can probably hop on uh, Bike Tyson and just pedal out there. <laughs> Come on, pedal up. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight um, up and down. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it, it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm excited for all the shows, actually. I saw you posting about them. I was like, oh, man, I've been to the pit end before um, to see uh, it was called H Factor. And it was a, a jazz ensemble, but also with DJ Honda. Yeah. And so DJ, Karamasa, I think. Yeah, maybe yeah. that was it. But I checked him. I checked that out like maybe like five years ago. But it was mm. a it was an interesting contrast, you know, like. Mm. Uh, a lot of times it was like DJ Honda playing um, drum breaks and right. then, you know, they'd play along with it. It sounded like some real like devious crime jazz type of shit. It was dope. <laughs> yeah, it was dope. Yeah. And, I've and that record. like I, I, I like the name crime jazz more than I like the actual sound of crime jazz. <laughs> but you know, I was going to ask you what it sounded like. <laughs> it, it, this is like a subgenre. Right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, like yeah. Oh, I think you just made that up. I think it comes out of Zorn and Naked City and all of that sort of oh. stuff. So I actually like the New York free improv scene. Which um again Miyama knows a lot about that. Obviously, he? don't know about crime jazz. Not Get on it, Miyama. Jesus, <laughs> didn't teach you that at Kodo school. Come on. <laughs> no, but it's interesting too, like, because we're talking so much about um the Tokyo free improv scene and the, and what it's like to be a Koto player here. But I'm kind of curious, like, what you thought, because Miyama was uh, in New York for most of last year for like six months on a scholarship, mm. and um you know, we, we we talk a lot about. Because I used to, I lived in New York for a while as well, so we end up talking a, a lot of comparisons between Tokyo and New York, and uh, the f the free scene and stuff. But like, yeah, I don't know how. In terms of, you know, I guess Mega asking like, is there a center for that music out here? Like, did you find that there's a center for what you do in New York? Like free improv and stuff. Yeah, or just like some wherever someone like you fits in out there. Like, how does that work? Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so last year I, I was on a six-month fellowship with the Asian Cunt Cultural Council, ACC, and um, they provide um, like paid uh, fellowships for people to go study within Asia and the US. So if you're in Asia, you can go to the US or other parts of Asia mm -hmm. and vice versa. Um, so I spent six months just fully funded. So I was like, I could just go see music every day, meeting people, making a nuisance of myself saying, hey, how are you going? Right. And people going like, what do you mean? How are you going? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? Anyway. <laughs> Tight. <Yeah. laughs> Tight. You are really living the life there. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so in short, I found like, yeah, there was so much to do. So many people that had common interests and 
you know, it was very easy to fit in to what, you know, identify with what people were doing. But I don't know if that's because also that's what I was able to do for those six but months, like all the time. But do you think like talking about your you being half and stuff, do you think it's because oh. you're half and it's like for you, it's sort of like this refreshing oh, finally I'm in a place where the koto doesn't have all of this baggage and it's mm. just an instrument. Mm. Or do you think it, that's... It's an extreme novelty in, in the United States, yeah. I would imagine. I guess that's what I'm trying to ask. Like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not a host of a podcast, so I'm not really good at not asking yet. questions. I'm going to get him in here <laughs> from now on. Uh, I, what, he's going to fall in, into it just like he did with the accordion and with Brazilian uh, Jiu-Jitsu. No. Completely on, start perf- stop performing music and just podcast <laughs> daily. I'm close, man. Live streaming on Instagram. I'm basically yeah, no, looking I'm, at yourself. My Instagram is just one long nonsense <laughs> podcast. You got to host it, man. Put it on the Mega Late Show feed. I got you. But but yeah, uh, d- not to uh, detract from uh, his point, but yeah, I guess I guess that it, was it mm-hmm. was it kind of more compatible with um the cool kids when you were in new york yeah but by cool kids i kind of just mean like a culture of people who are interested in the kind of novelty and avant-garde approach to your music that might be kind of um less likely to happen out here because people view it as like an a, a they they view it as like uh it's dakota so they're like oh man this is like you know 1300 years old this is like some kabuki mm. shit like I w- i'd rather go to you know the the noise show than to the kabuki theater mm. you know what i mean mm. is it is like was it easier for you to be like i don't know is it like cool yeah. like it, what am i looking for <laughs> I here yeah, like, you, you get what i'm saying yeah, yeah. i was yeah, like yeah. yeah i think that yeah it was really a lot easier to just like go like just rock up and say hey you know i liked your playing this is what i do and i always used to say like do you know what a-? so they're like asking me what i do and i was like do you know what a koto is and they're like yeah of course i'm like oh okay cool and of course in japan people know what the koto is but like you say like they have a little bit of a traditional view of it because it is part of their traditional culture but i don't know if the the reason why it was so easy easier in new york for people to just like there wasn't any wall you know they were just like oh great you know i mean they were extra interested in it because it is a novelty of course but um i think it's also because of like new york city has such a history and culture of people just being really into like you know interesting stuff you know that's different and and people really kind of um almost aggressive but they're really enthusiastic about it so it's like really fertile ground mm. for that kind of stuff. But if you went to a different city, maybe, or a different c- country that, you know, another Western country, you might be also just treated again, kind of more like a, oh, great, um, we could yeah. do a traditional collaboration. You know? Yeah. But also, you know, I was paired with like other Asian instruments and things like that when I was playing in New York, too. So were they all nerds and shit? <laughs> I don't want you to I shit mean, on your homies if they're homies, <laughs> but well, uh, the thing is, like, I look at you, like, um, you know, we've only met in person twice, yeah. But I look at you, some of your performances, you're dressed like more formally, but like your Spotify picture, you got like mm. a chain on, you look hella dope, you dress hella dope and cool mm. right now. You look like an artsy type of hip, cool person, you know. You don't look like your parents, you know, made you play the piano for five hours a day to become right. this classical composer in the kind of high art con- uh, contemporary art world yeah you know what i mean yeah, so yeah. i'm just saying like you, you're you seem cooler than 
what I think of when I think of the damn Kodo. And what you're yeah. doing with it is cooler than what I think a lot of people would think about the damn Kodo. Right. And um, I think that, like, so that's kind of like, you know, a blessing and a curse in a way because, like, th that's that part of me, like, you know, cuts me out from, like, being a part of like, the more traditional part of things. But naturally, like, I, it's, like, I'm more naturally interested in the more kind of fringe stuff anyway. So... Um, which is great, you know, and so it makes me be able to relate with other people that are doing things that are completely unrelated to Koto stuff or classical. Um, and yeah, I think that in New York, again, like there's probably like more um, interest in that kind of thing. Like everyone's pretty hip, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, I've always, it's one of those epicenters in the world where it's like, a lot of the dope art that's happening happens in like New York because mm. there, I don't know about now, but it used to be like that. Poetry, you know, mm. all different genres of music were just kind of flourishing mm. there because there's a lot of art-minded people. It's yeah. one of those episodes like San Francisco or definitely, and, and, and so I don't know if yeah. Tokyo has that same type of connotation that New York has. New York was almost like the kind of like center of the world when it came to. Yeah, art and, and people go there looking for it for mm. sure even now yeah. you know even though it might have changed over the past dec few decades like mm. from what i hear but still like people like it just people flock to new york city i think what do you think about tokyo Aaron? like yeah people Tokyo do come here for tokyo's a weird one because it's got the, it's got the history for sure like it's got a long history especially um you know like electronics and composition like electronic music composition free jazz noise music classical music film um it's got a really long history and and a, and a really healthy music scene for all of that stuff but people don't flock here because there's such like a high price of entry like you have to be able to read japanese to know where to go you have to speak yeah. japanese to be able to communicate mm. you can't just come here and network like well that's the um, other thing like when oh sorry sorry yeah but i i think you know jazz scene and classical music scene too i think everything what's weird like well not what's weird but if you're gonna start to compare tokyo and new york i think tokyo has the edge in terms of uh like work right like you can play more places out here mm. there's way more clubs than in new york there's a really high level of musicianship but it lacks the grittiness and the kind of urgency that somewhere like new york has where like you have to be tough and you really have to know who the fuck you are and what you want to do if you're in New York. So mm. I feel like the pressure of New York creates stronger artists. True, yeah. But I think out here it's like you you can um you can do more if you're motivated. There's you know? like space for people to be successful out here. Yeah. And mm. Like a lot of space for it. Like yeah. Almost like the way I see it, even like with um, all the hip hop shows is like yo, you're not really in competition with anybody out here as much as you're like in competition with yourself. Yeah, 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 mm. totally. Yeah, it, you have to motivate yourself to get better mm. and to do things and stuff like that out here. Yeah. Because there is so, like, there's so many places to play and people are always calling you up. And mm. It's it's really, it's easier to coast. It's easier to coast out here, yeah. I think. But like like you said, there's like a high price of entry because of language and stuff. But it's also like, if you want to book a gig, like you have to know the person, like the venue owner, you have to have a personal connection to be yeah. able to play there and stuff. And and so when you were saying like, was it easier to, you know, like meet people or whatever, be like, I don't know, get along in New York is like people in New York were really open and welcoming to someone that's new because everyone comes 
most people come to New York as a foreigner from a different city and so they have to like network and so everyone knows that and so they're like introducing me to people like heaps like I got so many introductions and like it was really quite welcoming because mm. people talk about like oh it's going to be really everyone's going to be re um, competitive and aggressive but it was actually really welcoming in that way people are really really helpful like mm. that because everyone's been through that but in Tokyo it's like it's more insular like you have to have these personal connections you need a way in to like play mm. with these people and then you know, book your own stuff and yeah. it's I do harder. hear there's a lot of uh, like yeah. gatekeeping yeah. out here to to some degree. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to just, you can't just like step into something. You have to go through like the right order and then hand your business card to like the right person <laughs> yeah. in the right way at the right time. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it's like malicious or like it's not, I don't think they're doing it on purpose to be mean or anything, but I think it's like, they just, they just, it's more of a personal vibe, I guess. So it's like, mm. and people like, people that run venues probably, they want to kind of curate what they put on. So like they need to be, you know, personally connected to them or, you know, just having met them or, or maybe they've been vouched by someone else so that they know that what they're putting on is legit and they're like kind of, yeah, curating it, I guess. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. I think also Tokyo is going through a bit of a, a, a switch up. Like I, you know, again, like we were talking about how socially things have changed here. I think the the art scene also has changed quite a lot. Like, I think it's becoming easier to be more independent, especially during Corona. Like, a lot of clubs are closed, and a lot of like regular avenues that people take to kind of present their work or like to get ahead in their career, those aren't aren't available. So you're finding a lot of musicians and um, artists in general having to rethink how they're going to approach this shit. And, you know, the pressure of having to change now, I think, is sort of giving birth to a whole bunch of new, exciting um, ways of doing stuff out here. And I, I honestly think the next five years in Japan, Tokyo is going to become a central place for the arts globally. You know? mm. And I'm not just I saying so, that because yeah. I live here. Yeah. yeah, It seems ripe for it, you know, especially, yeah, mm. yeah, especially yeah. with just uh, the sheer number of places to perform and... and um, how just how dope the city is yeah, it is so. dope that's yeah. the that's the one thing people you know don't really understand outside of tokyo it takes a minute like anywhere there's so many people here that there's also a lot of bullshit yeah. if you can wade through the bullshit and find all of the dope people out here it just if you if you just had the dope people all working the clubs every night it would still be a you know a busy city you know what i mean like yeah. there's there's enough people here that are super talented at what they do yeah. to make a separate scene but there's just so many people that seem so big that mm. you can kind of get lost in, you know. Mm. Word like, up. Uh, yeah, am amateur night. But, yeah. I, I, have, I have another question before we go into a break here and then uh, start redoing part two. Um, we talked about the new shirts that are that are coming out and everything like that. One thing that I've, uh, and, and, I, and I want you guys to go pre-order those shirts. That I think they're dropping, like, what, October 2nd? Something like that. It's yep. a dope design. Available for uh, pre-order right now. Right. Yeah, you can yeah. pre-order now. So, yeah, yeah, check those out. Um, those shirts are really dope. 10% of those proceeds go to the Mega Late Show, so support oh. us. Samson. <laughs> nah, um, no, nah, but definitely go support. Definitely, definitely go support. I'm, I'm picking up my coffee. Uh, I'll, gra I'll grab my shirt soon. But um, I've been doing this thing called, like, a Tokyo Spotlight, and I like to go ahead and put it in the show notes. And really what I want to do, because there's so many, 
so many dope places out here in Japan and some of them like you would never hear about unless you knew the right person whether it comes to like a burger spot a Chinese restaurant or anything so do either of you have like a spot that you'd like to shout out and say you could just say where it's at what the name is or kind of what what it is like it could be music venue food or just you know a quiet spot I mean Aaron's probably already said it before like we've got a yakitori joint in Ekoda called Hishakaku that we go to. Have you already mentioned that one? Um, I'm probably I mention it everywhere. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it opened just months, like a few months after we moved here into Japan, and we've been going there ever since. Like best chicken skewers in the world. Yeah, no, us, like anyway. no shit. The best yakitori in Tokyo, and certified yeah. by lo- like you know, yeah. like I've taken over the years so many people there who don't believe me but it is yeah. by far the best best yakitori w- spot what is the name of the place and Hish- where is it hishakaku from the north exit of ekoda station head out of there and then just keep walking straight um it is the perfect level of like the the food's good but it's not pretentious at all it's like a big gritty yeah you know there's anchor just going the whole time oh. you can also watch the baseball if you want to like it's it's a really you know like what I love about places like th- this is why like these places are important, right? These guys, in a weird way, are kind of doing what you're doing. Like, they're young dudes that started this spot up 11 years ago when we were, when we were living in Ecuador, and um, they got the balance of being traditional. Like everything about what you would want a yakitori spot to be is there. Like the idea that it's cheap, that it's like a drinking spot, that it's a, it's easy to go in. It's like for generally older people, like they've kept all of those things in place. But then there's this contemporary element to it where they like are really expressive with the food. It's like an updated version of like what you would expect at a yakitori spot. It's cheap though, like it's for the you know working class people. But they've hit that sweet spot between having a place that's really um, comfortable to be in and challenging you with stuff that's a little bit more elevated than what you would normally get. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I I think that artistically it's an important spot in Tokyo and represents what I think like Tokyo does the best is that combination of being contemporary but yet traditional. Yeah. Also, chicken wise, it's very. Important. Chicken wise is pretty good. Yeah. I, I want to go to there. Come on, it's on Friday. Yeah. Let's, let's okay. go check it out before we I go see. I, I don't I don't get off and off work until like seven. I won't get back here until like seven. Uh, seven twenty or something. Well, it like starts that. at seven thirty. Uh, your your uh, your gig. We'll go okay. catch the seven after. Okay. Uh, oh oh yeah, yeah, we go after too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Ah, perfect. I'll yeah. put that on the calendar. And right. I yeah. love going to that place. Like it's almost like Aaron got sick of going there, and I was like, let's go to Shaka. Like, oh. Yeah, sick of chicken, son. I thought you were like half <laughs> well, black. Well, we had, he, he <laughs> was, was about other chickens. Uh, <laughs> I became loyal to another spot briefly, <laughs> but that's only because I went there and had this uh, bad experience with. I got drunk. And arm wrestled wow. again. <laughs> um, this, Is this, this like something you do, like arm wrestle people when <laughs> you're drunk? <laughs> well, I was at the time. Like, this is when um, like, oh, what was that? Yeah. Anyway, I got drunk. There was this like weightlifter, like bodybuilding guy, and um, we challenged each other. He's like, "All right, man, like you drop, what is this like three kilos in a week, and I'll put on one in muscle." And, um, you can win that so easily. Oh, it's to, to drop, like the, to drop three kilos. That's such an unfair advantage. No, no. I, actually, I think it was more than three. I can't remember what it was, but whatever it was, it was stressing me out. Like, because three is nothing. You just don't drink water for a day. But um, whatever it was, anyway, we are. Uh, it was stressful, so I didn't want to go back and, and run into the dude. I got, I got there. He sent me, he sent me a, uh, he sent me a message the day before we were supposed to meet up, 
and was like, hey, uh, I haven't put on a kilo of muscle. Like, yeah, no shit. That's yeah, hard to do. Yeah, you cannot just do that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Not, <laughs> like, you can have a month and you cannot just do that. Yeah. But I had to avoid it for a minute just in case you wanted to go again, you know. Uh. <laughs> but you've come around. But I like yeah. going to that place so much. Like, you know, I'll, I'll say, like, my, with my girlfriend, I'll be like, hey, let's have dinner. I'll be like, do you want to go to Chakaka? And she's like, yeah, cool. we could go somewhere else, too. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, okay, okay. Uh, okay, well, shit. Shout out to them. Um, I'll try to put that in the show notes uh, for people to find out. But don't go over there and fuck it up for the rest of us. No arm wrestling in this damn place. Yeah, man. If you, and if you run into that guy, you know, just make sure you give yourself enough time to drop the, drop the kilos, man. Uh, you could do it. Well, um, uh, I want to thank both of you for joining in. Um, I'm, I, I really enjoyed the album. One last question before we give our social media information. Um, the title of the album, what does it mean? So the title of the album, album Sonobe, is from, from the um, first track. Of, so it's the name of a piece called Sonobe by um, a female composer, Alyssa Asker, who's based in Austria. Um, and that piece is about actually origami. Okay. And there's this type of origami. I didn't even know. I had to Google it. Um, there's this type of origami called unit origami. And you kind of make these shapes like kind of, I don't know what, you'll have to Google it. Um, you make these shapes and they're called units. And then you use these units to build 3D shapes like okay. spiky balls and bus boxes. And okay. Stuff. And so Sonobe is the type. Like some guy called Sonobe or something or other um, developed his own, his unique version of the unit. And so there's a Sonobe unit. Mm. And so he had this like his only crazy style of origami. And so each um, kind of section in the piece has this different image of color and like the process of like folding the paper and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Because I asked, I was like, my Japanese sucks. And I asked my wife, I was like, what could, What do you think it means? She's like, well, I'd, I guess I'd have to read the kanji to see exactly right. what, what, what she wants it to mean. But yeah. uh, that's dope. That sounds like video games. You know, you take a bunch of polygons, <laughs> stack them up together, and you got Tomb Raider. Right. Triangle breasts. Exactly. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. You know how that works, right? Yeah, yeah, you know all about those polygon breasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, all do. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's hard to believe that Some under all this. Some of my best friends are polygons. Yeah, you know, it's hard to believe that under all this skin, we're just a bunch of polygons. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Mega Late Show, episode number 126, Miyama McQueen Tokita. Where can we find you, um, social media-wise? Uh, my Instagram is queen underscore Miyama. Or maybe it's just one. No, I can't remember if there's an underscore or not. I'll figure it out. I'll yeah. put it in the show notes, but yeah. Okay. That. <laughs> uh, I've got a Facebook page, website, YouTube, etc. Okay. I'll, I'll throw like at least two of those in there. Yep. And and Namboku Records, Aaron Cholai, what what up? Yeah, man. Uh, you can yeah, you can find me just at Aaron Cholai wherever, and um, Namboku Records on Instagram and Bandcamp. Check it out, please. Word. And again, the musical bit on this episode is brought to you by Soul Dope ninety five. Here goes one of his joints. We'll be back uh, Tuesday with part two, where we focus on pop culture, music, and other stuff like that.